What I like about working with families is that families are the nucleus of the circle of support for their child. I mean, they are the essential core. It all begins with them. And when you can connect with the core, then it, everything can resonate throughout the team. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. As November is Family Engagement Month, we're highlighting TSBBI's Family Engagement Specialists. Ejni and Yolanda are going to share insight for families and professionals followed by Catherine adding a TSBBI-specific viewpoint, too. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Edgeny Bella, and I'm one of the TSBBI Outreach Family Engagement Coordinators. I serve on the DeafBlind team, also known as the Texas DeafBlind Project, which means I have the honor of partnering with families in Texas who have children and young adults with combination of vision and hearing loss. My professional training and experience has always been focused on working within the VI DeafBlind community, primarily with people who are DeafBlind. But I've also had the, the wonderful opportunity to kind of serve the lifespan. So I've worked in early childhood, to senior citizens, public schools, to university services, to vocational services. For most of my career, I've served as uh, in the role of family engagement positions. More importantly to me, I'm a family member and I have many friends who are living life with a disability. I've learned so much from them, and they keep me passionate about what we do here in Outreach. And my name is Yolanda Shaw. I am also a family engagement coordinator here in the Outreach Department at Tech School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I currently work on the VI team, working with children in the state of Texas with a visual impairment and other multiple disabilities. Um, I'm new to this role, but really love working in this position. It's super exciting. Um, my background comes from working as a vocational rehab counselor um, with the state of Texas, formerly in different agencies as DARS and currently Texas Workforce Commission. I worked primarily with adults who were experiencing vision loss in their families and helping them regain their confidence and independence by learning you know, blindness skills through training. And so I've worked in family capacities in different ways, officially and unofficially, in my volunteer work that I've done as well. But uh, getting to a chance to work in the special education system is really um, new and exciting, and I really love it. Um, I'm learning from awesome people like Ejani and all my coworkers every day. Great. Okay. Well, um, I invited you guys on the show because November is Family Engagement Month which um, of course you had to let me know about because I didn't know that. <laughs> so I'm glad that you mentioned it. Um, so how would you define family engagement? Uh, first of all, let me just say, I'm so excited to have this conversation because I think it can be um, really fun. And I think we can all learn together on this. Family engagement is a relatively new term, um, as is the use of family instead of parent. Um, 
And if you're reading and keeping up with the literature on family engagement, which, by the way, is primarily within general education and special education, um, you'll see that there's also a recent trend towards including community into the mix. So now we're starting to see family and community engagement, which I think is really kind of cool. When we talk about family engagement, I think it's important to talk about why we are saying family rather than parent. And that's because family is defined by the members respecting their diversity and uniqueness. It embraces everyone as valued contributors and it's using an inclusive term. Um, family honors grandparents, siblings, aunts, uncles, and maybe even friends who are serving um, in the role that we traditionally think of as parents serving in. When you're looking at the literature, what you're basically going to see a lot of emphasis on is the traditional school perspective. And that describes what families do at home and in the community to support their children's learning and development. It also encompasses the shared partnership and responsibility between home and school. Such engagement is essential for school improvement, and we all know that, which is why there is wonderful emphasis through this, you know, throughout, um, you know, all levels, including at the federal government down to state and to the local levels. The literature describes the process um, as professionals building genuine relationships with the families and that these relationships with the family support overall family well-being and their children's healthy development. When families are engaged, partnerships are created, and they have a common focus, which is helping children grow and thrive. Most of the literature emphasizes that in order to have effective family engagement, the following philosophy and practices need to be in place. Number one is respect for families' expertise. We need to, to value and honor that families uh, know their child best. They are their first and longest uh, lifelong teachers. They're gonna have the longest relationship with the students that we have the honor of serving. And I think as part of this respecting the family's uh, expertise, this is where we can also respect and value the role of family leadership. Another element is the power for families to speak and to be heard. Family engagement is a strength-based model. It's all about relationships and building trust. It's creating opportunities for involvement that benefits not only the student, but the larger community. It's about collaborative goals and strategies. It's about addressing barriers and the needs of the families. And again, it's about partnership. So while these focuses are geared towards what the professionals need to bring to the table, it's important for us to remember that families need to do this too. Personally, I think it all boils down to walking out cultural humility and considering engagement from the family's perspective and relationships. So if it's okay, let's think about family engagement from the family's perspective. This is really a dynamic and interactive process that has at its heart building individual relationships within a family and having a sense of family identity. From there, family engagement expands to include the family having a sense of community, a place where they feel they belong. That can include connecting with other families in informal ways, being part of organizations and participating in community activities in ways that are important to them. Family engagement also includes partnering with professionals in building a good life for their children. 
this can be in the education system as well as medical as well as working with other service organization and partners out there. So, you know, again, we're going to think broader than what the literature says, which focuses on education. This is about families partnering with their doctors and, um, you know, wonderful organizations like in our state, the, the Blind Children's Program and TWC. When we think about family engagement in this way, about building partnerships and, and relationships, no matter what role we're wearing, whether we're a family member or a professional, um, we're able to first focus on the unique qualities of each family while celebrating their individual styles of family life. I'm really kind of eager for the literature to maybe do some more focus on um, the family's perspective, because I think that could really um, be a benefit not only to for our families, but us as professionals who have the chance to partner with them. Yolanda, what do you think? Well, I think you definitely hit all the nails on the head of family engagement. It's just so comprehensive, truly, and influences everything we do as professionals um, for the child's life. And it looks different in so many ways, which we'll probably unpack in a little bit more in some of the, the questions that Emily has for like strategies and that families can consider and professionals can consider. I love that term that you used, Edgeny, uh, cultural humility. Like, I, I think that's, I don't know, it just stood out to me because, you know, when you think about the family perspective and that piece of it and knowing that you're a guest in their culture and their environment and their home, um, instead of bringing your own perceived notions first, you know, I just think that's so important. I love that. So both of you obviously are committed to working with families. So what is it that you love so much about engaging with families in this way? What I like about working with families is that families are the nucleus of the circle of support for their child. I mean, they are the essential core. It all begins with them. And when you can connect with the core, then it, everything can resonate throughout uh, the team. And so that's why it's so I'm so passionate about really getting to know the family, building that rapport and the trust of the family, because ultimately they are the drivers truly in their child's life. Um, you know, families care about their child. And as professionals, it's our job to help them be able to express it in a constructive manner, uh, their goals of what they like to see in their child's life and collaborate with them and partner. So I really like that because alone, um, without the family's support, uh, not as much impact will be able to be done. Um, so really starting there by gaining their trust and just that partnership truly matters so much. And, and I'm passionate about that because if you can have that much influence with them and ally with them, then it's only going to help the child succeed more in their life throughout their schooling and into their young adulthood and, and adulthood. And hopefully when they have family someday. I love that Yolanda. Um, and I, I too share a lot of those, those passions. I think it is what keeps us committed to doing this um, wonderful work we call family engagement. Um, you know, um, Emily, when, when we, when you gave us this opportunity to have this conversation with you, we were actually on the TSBBI website looking at different ways that we're 
um, connecting with families. And on our About TSBVI website, there's this, this wonderful sentence that really um, stood out to Yolanda and I. It resonated with both of us. And that is family education and en- engagement is at the heart of what we do. And I think that's what we've already said in different ways, all three of us. I was so fortunate from the very beginning to learn families are the heart, the focus, the drive, the motivation for everything that we're about. It's All of this comes from the families, and we're very fortunate to have the uh, opportunity to partner with them. And I think one of the things I learned, I love the most, and Yolanda, you said this beautifully, when we have the opportunity to learn from our families, we get to discover who their child or young adult is, and we get to see them in a way that we, you know, it, we would never discover just at the school um, or, you know, in other ways. We we get to get to know them and their strengths and their funny stories and the family, you know, the things they enjoy doing. We get to learn what's important to the family. We get to learn about their hopes and dreams for the future. And those those hopes and dreams push us and make us think creatively about how we're all going to roll up our sleeves and, and make these dreams happen. Um, you know, so I think I think when we can come from a place of, of partnering with families and valuing them as teaching us and giving us focus and helping us remain motivated, it, it's a great place to be. Another thing I love about families, one of the things I've gained a whole lot is they've taught me a lot about life in general. Um, and, and this is where I do put on my mom hat, my sister hat. You know, and think about, um, you know, growing up and, or having a family uh, with loved ones with disabilities is that, you know, one of the wonderful things about the families we get to partner with is they embrace the beautiful mess of life, you know, and make good things come of hard experiences. And I think that's a pretty extraordinary thing to witness and to have a, a front row seat as they as they do life. And there's so many wonderful lessons to learn from that. Um, Again, we're learning a lot about resiliency, and we're learning a lot about adverse childhood experiences, which, by the way, I think this is really interesting. There's now stuff coming out about adverse family experience, and I think that's pretty pretty important stuff for us to consider that it's not just one individual going through an adverse experience. It's a family. Each person is going through that in a different way. But I, I think another element to all of this that we, we don't get enough time to talk about is what we call, what the literature, what the research is showing as post-traumatic growth. And I think that's what families teach us. They take these hard experiences, what most people can't wrap their heads, hearts around, and they are enjoying life. They're making good things come of it. They're not just focused on creating a good life for their child, but they're committed to creating that for all all children within the community, paving the way for the kiddos coming behind them. I think that's really cool. I think another thing that I love about working with families is watching them connect and be part of a community. There's nothing like seeing the magic that happens when families get together. It's really quite an honor to be invited to be part of their journey. 
Why do you think it's really important for families that have children who are blind, visually impaired, or deafblind that the professionals are working so closely with them? Well, um, you know, families help us learn about their child's strengths, needs, and, you know, priority and goals for their kid's future. So the more involvement we can have with those families, the stronger I think the outcome can be for their child. Parents do want the best for their kids. And sometimes they may not know how to make that happen or where to begin. And that's where we come in as you know professionals to, to help begin to pave that path and that starting ground. But it's a partnership. It, it has to be a partnership ultimately because like we said earlier, they're the pinnacle of their child's circle of support. I do think it's from working with families over time, I think the more successful outcomes we see are the ones who are trying to um, do the best they can with what they have and investing their time into their child education. When you have a disability, a lot of learning comes through experiences. It's not obviously necessarily what's in the textbook. Um, So sometimes organically experiences can occur and sometimes we have to make them happen. Uh, for the child to learn from and that discovery for themselves and that to build that self-efficacy and that self-determination that a child's needing. So when, when we can all be on the same page, when we can, when the families are there and present, it's just easier to make those things happen. I love that, Yolanda. Um, and that makes me think about the expanded core curriculum. I think we all recognize that the expanded core curriculum is, is a, a critical and important part. It's as important as the academics. I can't imagine having an accurate understanding of the students' expanded core curriculum skills without the family bringing us in and showing us their family life. And, you know, and again, giving us that perspective of what the what's important to them and what um, what they're already doing so that it can be infused to, you know, with how they're spending time as a family. So I think professionals are always striving to work with families, but it doesn't always work out. Sometimes there's conflict that can arise between schools and families or from just individual professionals. So what are some things that those working with families can do, connect better when maybe things aren't going well? We need to, you know, probably go into this with a whole lot of grace. That That's another lesson we learned with the pandemic, right? That we, we have to show grace not only to the people we get to partner with, but to ourselves and realize that we're humans. And so as part of human connections, we're going to have those little um, breaks in communication and interactions, but those repairs are great. As we touched on earlier, consider approaching it from that cultural humility perspective. What are your personal beliefs and experiences and how might they be influencing your work with families? Are you operating from a place of sympathy or from a perspective of empathy and compassion? Consider how you're getting to know families and building relationships with them. How are you communicating with them? Are you able to meet with them outside of formal meetings? And if so, how is that going? Are you able to do home visits? If not, what needs to be done so that you can? If you can, what's your purpose and goals for those visits? It should begin with and always have a strong emphasis on learning from the family. Sharing information is important, but it won't be as effective until you've listened and learned. 
Can you participate in family training and conferences as a learner? So many professionals that I've worked with have have expressed that attending something like DB Matt or the Texas Chargers retreat changed their lives, changed their perspectives. And I think it was because they had the opportunity of spending days with families and connecting with them over meals and at break time and, and listening to stories and seeing how much families uh, gain from being able to connect and talk with each other, relate about things that, you know, um, they don't, they can't necessarily find common ground with, with people who don't have a, a child or a loved one who is visually impaired, deaf blind. So, you know, think about getting to those family trainings and conferences and, and taking advantage of that opportunity to be immersed in the community. I don't know if this will help, but it's been something that I reflect a lot on, and, and, and it's a saying that's used within the family community, and that is, before I tell you what I know, I need to know how much you care, and I think that speaks to the trust, and it speaks to having a sense for how the person's going to use the information that, that they're being asked to share, so that may be helpful. Another thing to consider is, are you respecting family life, or is there a possibility that we've somehow conveyed that they're to be implementing therapy at the loss of what we call, well, at least in my family, we call it our hanging out time or our couch time. But, you know, um, but I think this is a very real risk for many of our families. There's only so many hours in the day. And when students go to school, the time that they have with their family is already pretty limited and is all the work that needs to be done, the therapies, the academics and everything pushing in on this, you know. Um, so how can we respect family life and keep, you know, get a little protective with the families of that time that they have together so that they can do what no one else can do, which is be a family. No one's going to take that, you know, that place. Of, of what happens when families are together. Edgen, you said everything so well. Uh, truly, I think when we have those misunderstandings, sometimes, you know, it's not intentional. I think it just comes from miscommunication or misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. And as professionals, when we can come with that humility, like you said, a cultural humility, not necessarily always consider looking at things through our lens, but willingness to step back, polish off that lens we're trying to look at, update it, you know, reshape it whatever we need to do to look at it through the eyes of the family. Um, I think that can help us as professionals then get back on track. That's not always easy to do. It's easier said than done, um, but that's why you got to stay humble. You know, always keeping your words soft because you might have to eat them later. That's another, you know, <laughs> helpful, helpful thing to keep in mind. Um, as a counselor, I learned that long in my career. And if you come with those things, I think, you can help build that trust. It really comes from trust. When misunderstandings happen, they come from fear, and maybe the trust hasn't been built yet to open up and be vulnerable and share maybe and admitting things you may not know. Um, and this comes from both sides. This comes from as a family member, you know, it already is um, pretty humbling to have to ask for help. Sometimes that doesn't always feel good. Um, and also as a professional, admitting that I may not have all the answers. You know, this might be new to me, but I can get with other colleagues who do have, who might have the answers and we can brainstorm together and problem solve. So I think when both parties are willing to 
to be those lifelong learners, because we all are, and not dig their heels in deeper, then we can come to a mutual consensus for the child's success. And, um, and hopefully we can just keep those things in mind in order to make progress. Because I think that ultimately that's what we all want. Everyone wants the child to make progress. We want to move forward with their goals. Sometimes we just have to step back though and just get on the same page again. I really like what you both said about, you know, that nobody has ill intent. You know, I think that that is something that as a younger mom, I would get so mad at people that weren't doing what I thought was best for my son. But it really, it wasn't, you know, looking back now and knowing a lot more people in education, I'm picturing those that made me so mad. And I know they weren't at their desk like, ooh, I'm going to get that little kindergartner. (laughs) You know, like, I really don't want him to have the services he needs. You know, I think that I think sometimes it's so easy to get caught in your own negative stories, parents and professionals, Mm -hmm. just like I've heard professionals, you know, maybe take some unintentional shots at families like, Oh, well, they just don't want to work on it. If only they do more of the things we need them to at home. And, and uh, you know, in the same way, families aren't at home going, Oh, I don't want my kid to do any better. You know, like I'd hate to help them grow. It's just that life happens and there's so much going on for all of us. And we all have the best intent and, um, remembering that when, when I'm frustrated now, I just try to think, okay, nobody's out to get anybody here. This isn't a gotcha situation. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's like you said, it's communication and perspective taking and knowing that there's probably more on their plate than we even really know on both sides. It's always a little bit surprising to me that families are unaware that the educators are also nervous about these meetings and these conversations they, because they are so committed and they want to do the right thing. You know, we, we all know within the family community, kind of this ongoing joke about you need a huge coffee mug to prepare for IEP meetings, and then you need a huge glass of beer or wine afterwards to, to get over it. And, and again, when in thinking of all these relationships and experiences with families and schools, they don't realize other people around the table are, are nervous too. And, and I think... As educators, we know that in our heads, but it's, I think it's sometimes hard to hold on to that in, in the conversation, that you know, there's, there's a lot riding on these conversations, whether, we, um, whether it feels weighty or not. It, you know, this, is, this is about building a future for this young person, and um, we all want to do it the right way. Where can families in Texas go if they're looking for more resources um, to support their children who are blind, visually impaired, or deafblind, or even what are some national resources? Okay, well, hopefully our web, our website has useful resources, but stay tuned because we're revamping everything. Please, please, please connect with our fabulous family organizations if you're not already. Who better 
to learn about resources and make these family connections than through these Texas organizations and our national ones. There's some great websites out there. If you haven't already discovered them, I'd encourage you to look at Charting a Life Course, which is a national website. There's the Parent Companion website, which is for families who have young ones birthed at five, but I think everything on there is really great stuff for no matter how old your kiddos are. Navigate Life of Texas is another one. By the way, Parent Companion and Navigate Life of Texas was created for families by families. So I think that it's rich in material and, and tips. There's also SPED Techs. If you haven't discovered that, I would encourage you to do so. We're fortunate to have Partners Resource Network in our state, and they're doing some pretty awesome trainings right now, including their lunch hour training. So if, if everybody's got about an hour uh, once or twice a week or a month, they're offering these great webinars. And there's also a great website. It's called got transition and it's actually a website that's devoted to support young people and their families in transitioning from pediatric to adult medical services and of course there's Eugenie and myself that you can contact yes Eugenie's already listed out so many things and if you don't remember any things why don't you just call me an Eugenie call text for the blind visually impaired ask to be transferred to the outreach department and Either one of us will be happy to help. We are a resource on your team as well. And I'd like to add too that you both are available for families, but also for professionals seeking training on family engagement. So I know that that's something that you're willing to do as well. The most important part to remember is just creating and developing that family professional alliance. That's what we want. It's it's an alliance. We're trying to build and everyone has a part in it. It's, it's not... One person's responsibility, it's everyone's responsibility in order to come together. And I think that's just something to keep in mind at all times. We all want to come together and we just got to get sometimes creative to make that happen. But it should happen because it ultimately benefits the child. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Katherine Hauck is a social worker at TSBBI and has been a critical collaborator with our Family Links organization highlighted in our November 1st episode. She's going to share more about family engagement opportunities at TSBBI. My name is Katherine Hauck, and I'm one of the social workers here at Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And I wanted to share some of the options for family engagement within the comprehensive programs here. They've actually expanded in the past year in spite of the pandemic. And this is due to a new family organization founded last year at the school called Family Links, which is led by three parents of current students. All TSBVI families are welcome and encouraged to join Family Links, and this includes day residents short-term, exit, and summer program students. Staff and alumni are also important members of Family Links. And if you're wondering, the name Links was chosen because it's a type of a wildcat. And also the word 
Links, L-I-N-K-S, represents connection, which is at the heart of this organization. If you're interested in becoming a member of Family Links or just want to learn more, you can go to their website at www.familylinks.org. Another option for family engagement here at TSBVI are the school advisory committees. These groups represent various segments of the community. So parents and guardians, teachers, students, administrators, support staff, community members, and advisory communities are required to have parents or guardians as part of their team. So this provides an opportunity for parents to voice their opinions and suggestions by participating in setting goals and to identify issues that need to be addressed concerning their school climate. The TSBVI has four different advisory committees parents can serve on. One is called the SHAC Committee, or School Health Advisory Council. Here in this committee, uh, parents can provide input about health curriculum and instruction, fitness and wellness ideas to promote on campus, and input about health and fitness events. Another committee is the Safety and Security Committee. Here, parents can give feedback regarding campus emergency operations planning and safety procedures. The LPAC Committee, or Language Proficiency Assessment Committee. Uh, this is a venue where, that where parents can provide input about schools' English as a Second Language program. Only a parent of a student receiving ESL instruction can participate. And lastly, the Instructional Planning Council, where parents could give input about schools' annual improvement plan goals, the school calendar, and related initiatives. Advisory groups meet three to four times per year, and parents serve for a year. If you're interested in joining a group, you can contact Principal Miles Fain. Let's not forget school events, which are another wonderful option where families, students, and staff engage with one another. For many of our big school events, families would historically travel to participate on campus for things like Family Day, White Cane Day, sports events and tournaments, and fine arts performances. However, since the pandemic, these engagement opportunities have gone virtual, meaning they are only accessible online currently. But don't let that deter you from attending. You can still go to a workshop, participate in a parent-teacher conference, join a family social hour, cheer for your student in goalball, or be informed about what your child is learning in a class. Yes, family engagement in our current environment has had to adapt and looks different, but we've learned that online participation can be meaningful and still impactful when we connect with one another from afar. Lastly, let's remember the power of informal outreach that parents and guardians can make at TSBVI. If you're somebody that prefers a more one-on-one -on -one parent engagement approach, we encourage you to contact your student's teacher or advisor or dorm staff and express your interest in wanting to help or contribute in some way. So in the spirit of Family Engagement Month, why not jump in and get engaged in whatever way feels right for you? These experts really recognize the value of parental expertise. I appreciated when Egeny shared the quote, before I tell you what I know, I need to know how much you care. As the parent of a blind child, I did share more about myself and my son when I knew the professionals really cared. This also fits well with something Yolanda shared that made me chuckle, which was, keep words soft, because we may have to eat them later. Yep, we've all eaten plenty of words. From TSBVI Outreach and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.